Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. That is not a junior ball. You're just dealing with a man who has freakishly, and I mean that in a respectful way, large ET fingers, which which helps a guy not just phone home, but also throw the football very well. I, I never got into the ET thing. I was always like, man, this is creepy. They're in a closet. You're better off showing your kids Jurassic Park or Django Unchained. Yeah, Django Unchained. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Well done. Well done. Fingerprints all over that one, including the very unique fingerprints of E.T. and Chris Sims. I, I, I just, yeah. you, you have to see it to believe how big the guy's hands are. And that's what <laughs> makes it amazing to me when you will point out from time to time how large the hands of Aaron Rodgers are. Right. If you think someone has big hands. Yes. And then those are some big ass hands. Yes. Uh, in fact, I think the two biggest hands I ever, you know, shook hands with as far as quarterbacks are concerned are probably the last two Packers quarterbacks, Rodgers and Brett Favre. You know, and yeah, you you know, I do. I have big hands. I think I had 10, 10 and a quarter inch hands maybe at the senior bowl or or the um at the NFL combine. I can't remember which one I got measured at either, but yes, when I shook Aaron Rodgers' hands, his fingers were like going down my wrist and I was like, what the hell? Like I really did. I was like, this guy's got like ET fingers. I mean, legit. Uh, and that's why he could throw that ball and just flick it with his wrist. It's, it certainly helps from, from that standpoint. Who's got bigger hands. You or Phil, AKA the big effer. Uh, I got bigger hands. You know, I, I got, I guess a little longer and, and a little like, as far as I could stretch them out, I'm like double jointed in almost all my fingers too, but he's got like, you know, big sausage farm hands too. He's got those big <laughs> fingers, right? You know, so he's he's definitely got a little more strength and thick uh, thickness to his hand than I do. <laughs> we've probably had this conversation before at some point over the last four and a half years. We've had every conversation before, and I just forget. Yeah. What age were you when you recognized, and more importantly, right. Phil recognized 
that you could take him if it went down? Oh, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, I actually, I I mean, I don't know. I guess it would probably be somewhere. It had probably been like you know college, later college, where he might have been like, oh man, the heck, you're too big now. The heck, we're messing around with you because you know we used to kind of like mess around, wrestle, push each other, do that type of stuff. I guess it was around there, but it wasn't like an easy let go. It wasn't like your normal, wait, I'm about to be an NFL football player and I'm 6'5", 235 and I could take dad now. Dad was still like working out hard and, you know, not that old of a father. He had me at a pretty young age to where it used to be like, I won't lie, Early in my career in the NFL, we'd go to the gym every now and then and work out right in the offseason and we'd lift and he he would outlift me in certain certain exercises and I'd be embarrassed. I'd be like, damn, I'm supposed to be the NFL player and here's this forty eight old old guy out out bench pressing me. Uh, but he's got some of that country strength to him, always has. Yeah, forty eight sure sounds old to me right now as I sit here <laughs> yeah. at uh right. fifty six. Um I had a thought, and oh, oh, there it is. It was gone, and now it's back. It's one of the one of the joys of 56. getting older. <laughs> the idea that he was able to outlift you, and this ties back to yesterday, after getting repeatedly pulverized into the green oh. cement at Giants Stadium, I know, and Veterans Stadium by the likes of Reggie White makes it even more impressive. Uh, it, it, it is. Uh, there's there's no doubt the era he played in, and then of course in the NFC East, which we know was the best division really of the 80s uh, I mean hey I, I'll, I'll you guys want to laugh at something go watch the 1987 opening season game against the Chicago Bears the last two Super Bowl champs the Giants the Bears right dad got knocked out cold at one point during the game like out cold asleep on the field and then was in like back in the game like five minutes later right I mean he was taking like roller coaster rides with Richard Dent and Mick, Mike Singletary the way they were hitting them and knocking them around and uh it just it was funny to see if you go back and watch it like to your point yesterday you just go oh my gosh I can't believe this was like legal football back then <laughs> that point that you make is appropriate because I've been working on an item that I'm going to post later this morning today is the 10-year anniversary of the last time we saw the combination of a devastating hit on a quarterback and the quarterback somehow getting back in the game, both in the same game. We've seen guys kind of slip through the cracks. There was a Russell Wilson possible concussion where yeah. he kind of avoided the blue tent and went back in, and people were like, what the hell just happened? But Colt McCoy getting oh. destroyed, obliterated by James Harrison 10 years ago tonight on a Thursday night game between the Browns and the Steelers. That. Yeah. And got back in. Right. And got back in the game. Right. And then on top of it, Miles Simmons and I talked about this recently – his dad went public with very basic observations about my son probably shouldn't have been allowed to go back in the game. Right. And the Browns held it against him. Not current yeah. ownership. Yeah, they didn't right. have the team yet. Right. Not current management. Probably nobody there now that was there 10 years ago. But eventually he lost his gig as the starter. And there was a report from Tony Grossi, who's been covering the team forever, that it was in part because of the comments made by his dad, who was simply trying to protect his son, yeah, who right. was somehow allowed to go back into the game after getting not Ear quite hole, knocked out like cold, knocked but he at, was, yeah, oh. it was straight in the face mask right. by James Harrison, right. and he was flat on his back for minutes, 
and he got back in that same drive. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, that's it, It's crazy how far we've come. And, and again, the, some of these protections are certainly necessary. Uh, as we both know, you know, some of it's gone a little overboard here. That kind of drives us crazy. But, you know, for moments like that, uh, I'm glad some of these rules are in place. There's no doubt. I mean, because it, 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 you know, hey, it's a crazy league. I don't think people can really understand totally how crazy and violent the game is until you get out there. And if maybe you've got seats in the first five row of a stadium or if you're on a stadium or if you're on the field, you know, field, maybe a training camp, full padded practice, something like that. But that's when you realize, whoa, this field isn't that big. Whoa, these guys are really big and fast. Whoa, these guys are trying to make a living. And a lot of them, and a lot of them have come from nothing. So they want to play hard and give it everything so they can keep this train rolling, making good money, playing football in the NFL. And you got grown men who also love the sport. Uh, yeah, the game can get crazy violent out there, and, and I can't even imagine some of the 80s hits with Ronnie Lott and Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor, you know, what, what, what the game was back then because it was truly uh, beating people up, like, completely. I remember the moment that it first dawned on me how violent it was. I saw something. I don't know if it was a segment on 60 Minutes or some other news magazine, 2020, whatever, the idea that it's the equivalent of going out into your driveway and – yeah running into the garage door, getting up and doing it again over and over and over, that that's what these guys are dealing with. Yeah. The car crash hits that you talk about from right. time to time and right. the sound, the violence, the the toll that it takes on the body. That's why it's amazing to get back to the original point that that Phil, the big yeah, effort, the big effort, was able to withstand all of that and still be physically productive and outlift you at age 48 in the gym. It's embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers has, uh, of all the things that could go wrong on your body, and anything and everything can go wrong when you're playing in the NFL, he still is dealing with the pinky toe. The pinky toe that was somehow injured, he said at some point, during his COVID break, and we still haven't gotten a clear story on how he actually got injured. If only he had multiple ways per week where he was in a position where he could talk about these things. And and he does talk about these things. And for a guy who last week was complaining about how much the coaching staff may be talking to reporters about his medical information, he still has no qualms delving into the details about the toe, where it currently is, and where it may go from here. Here's the latest. Tuesday with Pat McAfee, Aaron Rodgers, pinky toe update uh, i did get some great information about my foot there was nothing really uh revolutionary there was uh, no mindset change or anything the, the biggest key is rest i wish that there was another one of these weeks so i could you know get 14 to 21 uh great days without doing anything but uh you know the toe is is improving and uh we'll see uh, see how it feels later in the week i think any decision that's made uh, would be one that allows me to play. Um, I'm not going to miss any games. I've obviously played with much uh, bigger injuries, uh, different parts of my body. And uh, this, although it's a small uh, pinky toe, it's definitely painful and, and uh, creates some issues. But I'm not going to miss any games because of it. Yeah. Okay, he's not going to miss any games because of it until somebody steps on it again yeah, right. because now everybody knows and he's he's painted the he's painted the bullseye on the pinky toe by repeatedly 
talking about it. That's the irony here. A guy who bristles at the idea that anybody may be talking about him talks nonstop about the injury. And we all thought it was his big toe. And I, until he says it's his pinky toe, you don't know. Yeah, right. And the defenders don't know. Whatever yeah. happened to being concerned about the opposing players knowing too much about where you're vulnerable because they're going to accidentally, or as the case may be, accidentally step on that toe in the scrum of bodies that's going. And, and I'm not saying anybody's going to intentionally stop on a stomp on. I'm not like you know a guy like Indomitian Sue would ever intentionally stomp on yeah. someone's injured body right. part, like he did to Aaron Rodgers several years ago. And, and, and as Pete points out, in, in Dominican Sue's defense, his foot had gone numb. So he didn't quite know where sure. he was pushing down Whoa. with his cleat. Yeah. He just didn't know. Sorry. I'm I saw that. That was kind of cool, here. actually. I don't have a soundboard, but I got you know, got to do what I can. But uh, the bottom line is, the more he says, the more the defenders know. I just wonder if that's even occurring to him. Like, Aaron, wouldn't it have been fine for you to just be questionable toe? Full practice toe? Limited practice, toe. There's 10 of them. You got you, you got a pretty good chance they're going to step on the wrong toe if they don't know which one is vulnerable. I, I just I, I, I like the fact that he talks so much, but I just wonder how self-aware he really is because he seems to me to be a very self-aware guy for the most part. He's got some blind spots, yeah. and I guess this is one of them. He's yeah. got no qualms about talking and talking about his toe yeah. and which toe yeah. it is and showing it. Showing which foot yes, it is. that was great. We I mean, gone if it's a pinky that. toe, right. you still go 50-50. He showed us which foot. Yeah, I mean, he he's certainly sharing a lot of information. You're right. And that's why that's where I think like you and I get confused when yeah, information gets, you know, used last week from other sources where he gets mad, but anyways, he's gonna say it. You know, and I understand he has a right to explain his own life, you know, over everybody else. I get that. Uh, but, I mean, if he's blabbing to all of us on the Pat McAfee show, I'm sure he's blabbing to other people behind the scenes, too, and other people know what's going on. Now, I don't look at this as being an issue. I don't. You know, again, we've discussed this a little bit. You know, I, I guess these are the logic a little, too, of like, hey, if, my, if I'm on the injury report for toe, then everybody knows there's a toe, and you could just step on one of the feet and figure it out. But it, it's a different league in the NFL now, too. Guys don't look to do that anymore. That you know goes back to our original conversation to start the show. You know, maybe back in the seventies and eighties. You know, and, and and I'm not trying to call anybody dirty. It's just talk the way to they, Rodney. Right, well, talk to Rodney. Well, yeah, yeah, Rodney had some of that. You know, eighties, late nineties mindset. You're right. I don't he, think it was just him though. No, but it, but I feel like it's whittled away in the NFL as far as those type of players to where they look to go. Oh, that's hurt. Let me hit that a lot today. You know, now it's like, oh, it's not cool. I might see Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. That's kind of dirty, and it gets frowned upon. I mean, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't. It doesn't bother me within reason. I mean, if you're seeking him out and trying to like stomp on his foot, then that is dirty and crazy. But as far as the play on the field, I mean, we discussed. Hey, we've seen two games with this injury. I don't know. He looks better than ever. So I'm not worried about it at all. You know, and as far as like teams they play this weekend, we know you got the Bears on Sunday night football. They got a little bit of pass rush. Mobility will be a, a, a an issue as far as like he needs to be able to move to get out of the way of some of these guys. Robert Quinn's rushing the passer well. They got some creative blitzes, but you know, again, I, I don't think this is going to affect Rodgers, Green Bay, and I still think he's going to be able to play at a very high 
MVP-ish type level, which is the level he's played at the whole year other than week one. And I want to circle back to this. I'm not saying that Rodney was the only one. Rodney came oh, no, from I know. time when... They, the, and the, and the, the nomenclature was testing the injury. Yes. We're going to test that's right. That's right. the area. We're going to test it. And there was a greater concern. Hey, just back last year, for crying out loud, Tom Brady had a torn MCL, fully torn MCL in his knee that he took great pains to stabilize and work on and allow himself to go out and play. And it was never on a single injury report. Nobody knew he had a knee problem and nobody tested. Yeah. Tested the knee. And I, right. and I, and I understand, I understand it has changed. And despite the lingering presence of Indomitian Sue in the NFL, who has stomped on a guy's arm, pushed a foot into a guy's crotch on Thanksgiving day. Hey, enjoy your Turkey. <laughs> and, and also, and also stomped on the injured calf of Aaron Rodgers several years ago. I mean, I think there are still some guys out there who at the bottom of the pile or whenever yeah, they think yeah, they can get away with right. it are going to try to get away with it. Yeah, no, I do. I think there is some of that. But, I, you know, I think to your point and what we're talking about, that it's been whittled away through the years for sure. And Dominican Sue is, you know, yeah, the poster child in the league for that right now. I can't think of anybody like just off the top of my head. But but I think your, your, your like point you bring up about, hey, test the injury. Yeah, that was a real thing. I understand that. I think if I was coaching a team, you told me a running back, you know, had a, had a thigh bruise or a thigh issue or yes, is, you know, I'd be going, hey, let's let's aim for his thigh. Put your head and shoulder right in his thigh. Let's see how it, how is it really working. You know, and again, I got no issue with that. To me, that's goes under rubbing his racing. This is football. We're not here to, you know, it's not band practice or choir. We're, we're, you, you know what you signed up for. You got an injury. You're going to talk about it. I mean, I, I would expect the other team to test it. Now, this is a little different type of thing uh, as far as, like, you have to be blatant to test it out uh, or, like, step on it. It's going to be hard to be subtle and figure that one out. But uh, I don't know. At the end of the day, hey, Rodgers, he's having fun talking this year. That's for sure. He's playing good football. The Packers are damn good. And I, I, it was surgery or not, I don't think I'm worried about this injury at all. On this point that we've been discussing, I'm going to read a quote for you, and I'm going to have you guess who said it. Are you okay. ready? Yeah. New quote. Right. Fairly new. It's a story I was working on. A little copy-paste snarky comment just it, before it, the program. Okay, is it somebody playing yet. now, or is it old days? Like, yes. Okay. No, right now. Okay, right great, now. great, great. Yep. The game I – well, I'm going to have to paraphrase a bit because it'll give it away. Uh, today, football is more of a skills competition than it is a physical game. It's like being in the boxing ring and saying, don't hit your opponent because you might hurt him. Look, we're both able to protect ourselves. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. Let's go. Who said that? Well, I don't know. The fact that it said, let's go. I want to say that's Tom Brady at the end. It's Tom, it is yeah. Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> I, I left out the part where he says the game I played 20 years ago is very different <laughs> yeah, from that the game now. Gave it away. Is that what he gave, <laughs> that give it He's away? He's the only guy. <laughs> right. But he said that at least three times now. Yeah. This year. Yeah. This, this regret that, you know, at some point, you got to protect yourself. It's on you to protect yourself, not look for a flag because you made... And you talk about this all the time. This is where you and Brady are of like mind when it comes to it's on you to protect yourself. It's on you to throw a football that doesn't get your receiver blown up. And it's not on you to set your guy up to get blown up so you can get 15 extra yards out of it. No, exactly right. It's it's kind of been lost in, in translation over the last few years in the NFL. And it's, it's disappointing. You know, it's... 
the physicality of the game, that that advantage is not as big as it was 15, 20 years ago. Where, yeah, you could have a team that, yeah, might not be as skillful, but, man, they're big, they're physical, they hit, and they keep the game close. And as the game goes on, they just out-hit you, and they, they kind of beat the other team into submission. And we know there was a lot of teams through the 80s and 90s like that. Man, the early 2000 Patriots, I mean, that, that's the way they were built. You know, we're just going to be bigger than you. We're not going to be the sexiest thing in the world. And, you know, through four quarters, our size and physicality is going to wear you down. I mean, you heard that the other night with – I'm sure that's what Belichick loves about his team right now. He's got an old-school team. You heard that the other night. That's all McDermott was worried about from, from what you heard from, you know, Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy. The physicality of the Patriots. They brought it up like five times in the first half. Yeah, you know, he's, he's old-school but within the rules. But, yeah, it's a real aspect. And to me, you know, I don't look at it, hey, Thomas Davis hit me, I lost my spleen, I almost died. Oh, in this day and age, in the NFL, it would have been a legal hit. He led with his helmet. He hit me, you know, with the crown of his helmet right in the, right in the stomach. I don't look at it ever as his fault. What the hell was I thinking? He was bearing down on me. I should have thrown the ball away quicker. Duck got the hell out of the way. Turned my body, you know. So, yes, I know what I signed up for. And I do think it's a shame a little bit that some of that physicality has been taken away because it, 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 it it's hard to have that. 85 Bears, 2,000 Ravens defense this day and age in the NFL where not only are they talented, but they could intimidate you before the game even started where you're just going, man, am I, I'm, I'm going to go over the middle today against this group? Oh, gosh. And teams might not even call plays to go over the middle or receivers would be really reluctant and didn't even need to get hit because they just go, I saw enough on film this week that I don't want to go over there. And then, oh, wait, hey, the quarterback and receiver, they can't connect today. Well, he's got Ray Lewis nightmares in the back of his head, and he doesn't, <laughs> he can't catch the ball. And, and I do miss that aspect of football. It has been taken away. As to Aaron Rodgers, one of the things he would like to have is another extended break, and the only way to get that is to be the one seed in the NFC. This is the second year of only one team getting two weeks between the last game of the regular season and the first game of the postseason. And for Rodgers, of course, and I think this would be a place where irony would be the appropriate word to use. Yeah. I never quite know, as I say from time to time, thanks to that damn song. But the irony for Rodgers, if he misses the bye by one game, is the fact that he missed a game not due to the toe, but due to being COVID positive because yeah. he was unvaccinated secretly and ended up not playing in the game against the Kansas City Chiefs. So they need that bye. And we're going to have a draft later in the program of the teams that need the bye the most. But I have a feeling whoever gets the first pick is probably going to say the Packers just because Rodgers is on record saying, I really would like to have another break. And he's not going to get it, if at all, until he plays five more games, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I think you add that. Like, they're going to be at the top of the list regardless because of that, like what you talked about there. And then... I mean, we, we just have so much evidence. I mean, I know they lost the NFC Championship game at home last year, but, man, Green Bay at home still, it's a real thing. And the cold weather, weather, once it gets December and later, I mean, they're almost unbeatable up there in Green Bay. And that's where it is a great home field advantage. Rodgers and Green Bay are comfortable there. You know, it's a different stadium with how it makes you feel on the field. And then, of course, the elements do play – a real factor where teams go in there and yeah, you try to psych yourself up like, Oh, it's not that cold. And 
hey, you know, we're the Giants in 2016, right? Remember all the wide receivers, Sterling Shepard, OBJ, they went out in pregame warm-ups and didn't have their shirts on. You know, but then the game came and they were dropping passes and the cold was affecting them. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a real thing when you go up there and uh, it's certainly important for them and it is ironic, don't you think? A little too ironic, I really do think. Yes. <laughs> and the other factor, remember when we talk about outdoor games this year, everything is pushed back a week because of the oh, extra Oh, I know. Game. You're right. And right. that NFC Championship, January 30. Woo! Yeesh. Yeah. Uh, AFC as well. It, it, Bring it your gloves and mittens. Both conferences. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on because there is breaking news courtesy of NFL media. Jamal Adams, the Seahawks safety, for whom they gave up two first-round picks, one of which may be destined to be a top five, if not a top ten, based on the Seahawks season in 2021. He is out for the remainder of the year with a torn labrum in his shoulder. Same shoulder that he injured last season and had off-season labrum surgery to repair mm. so he is done for the year in Seattle and to the extent they had any hope of stringing the win over the 49ers into another and another and another and maybe somehow crowding into the playoff field it's going to be harder without Adams no doubt I mean harder the energy he brings is real to the defense it is a little concerning second year in a row torn labrum I mean, that, that, that is, I mean, that's a serious injury. And, you know, you, you watch him this year, you could tell he's got a harness on that shoulder to protect it and lock it in there. So, you know, now two years in a row, he's a car crash player. I mean, he's a kamikaze out in the defensive side of the field. That's why he's awesome. That's why he's great to watch. Um, but, man, I, I do worry about, like, the long-term effects of that two years in a row. You know, especially at that position and the way he plays that position, which is like a de facto linebacker, Jamal Adams is still phenomenal. I mean, he is. Now, people are going to go, well, he gets burnt so much or I see bad plays. Well, you know, it goes back to the thing that I've, I've always said, Mike, and I know you've heard me say this before. Jamal Adams gets asked to do things that other safeties in football just don't get asked to do because they go, we can't ask our guy to do that. He's not good enough. What? And then Jamal Adams, you're just like, what? Number one receiver, cover him. Oh, running back out of the backfield, cover him. Oh, tight end, cover him. Oh, blitz, yes. Oh, be the extra guy and fill the A gap and take on the you know the fullback and then make the tackle. He does all of that stuff, so it leads to some bad plays, but still a hell of a player. And uh, glad he got paid, and it's unfortunate to see. Well, and when he got paid, he pointed out that his father had his own right. NFL career cut short due to injury. So it's get paid while you can. That's the lesson. Yeah. And this injury underscores mm -hmm. it for every other player out there. Two points for the players get paid while you can for the fans quit resenting the efforts of players to get paid while they can. They got one or maybe two shots at the most to cash in. That's they right. got no equity. They don't own the, the, the team. They're not going to be around for 50 years. Right. They got five years, maybe. Yes. Let them get what they can while they can when the window's open to get it because that window closes quickly. And the injuries, even in a watered-down version of the NFL like we have today where there has been this conscious effort, it started with the epiphany the NFL had forced upon it about concussions in 2009. And then I think this obsession with getting – more games to 17 and then to 18 that has driven a lot of these safety rules as well regardless even in a game that's safer than it's ever been the injuries are inevitable we see it all the time 
you get paid while you can, while you are viewed as a commodity that a billion-dollar business is willing to pay multiple millions of dollars to, you get it while you can get it, because tomorrow it may not be there. No, that's right. I mean, it's well said. And, I'm Mike, I always appreciate the fact that you bring that up and you, you tell the fans to back off. I do. I know other players appreciate it, too. It's just it's – you know, for whatever reason, we, we discuss it a lot. People side with the team and the owners more times than not, and I don't understand that. But, yes, yeah, no guaranteed contracts. It's the most violent sport in the world. You know, it, 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 you, you only have a short shelf life to what you said. You got to strike while the iron's hot. And, yeah, thank God Jamal Adams, you know, took the deal before, you know, during training camp and everything. But, yeah, because, you know, you, you brought it up. His dad, he was playing for the New York Giants. You know, my, he was my dad's running back. My dad thought he was about to be a star in the NFL. Like, oh, my gosh, rookie year, he was good. You know, George Adams, second year, watch out. And I believe he tore his hip labrum, you know, and, and back in that day and even now, that's an extremely serious injury, and he was never the same. Um, but, yes, uh, good for Jamal Adams as far as that's concerned. Stinks that he won't, we won't see him playing for the rest of the year. Seattle needs him, of course, because they don't have a lot of great players on the defensive side of the ball. And as it relates to the issue of the physicality and the injuries, we periodically get these concerns now. Not as much as we did when it was a new phenomenon in the NFL, the Thursday night games. I remember it's been about five years ago that Richard yeah. Sherman, then with the Seahawks, referred to Thursday night football as poop fest, which we had a lot of fun with, with his poop fest quote. Ben Roethlisberger yesterday brought up the concerns about playing on a short weekend, which will be his final short week game of his career, most likely. He didn't use Poop Fest, but let's have a listen to Ben Roethlisberger talking about playing on a Thursday night after having a hard-fought late afternoon Sunday win over the Ravens. Ben, how, how can you get your body right? With, you had a couple of ailments this year to try to get ready for, for Thursday. Just have as many people help as you, as you can, you know, uh, chiropractors, masseuses, um, training staff, you know, getting in the pools and, and just doing whatever you can to get yourself ready. Um, everyone has to do this, it's, you know, throughout the year. I, I don't think anybody really likes it except for the NFL and all the money that they make. Um, players just, it, it's tough. Uh, and, you know, that's the reality and everybody does it. The money drives it. The Thursday night property is so valuable to the NFL. It's going to be strange to see what happens when it becomes Amazon only because it's not going to generate the eyeballs right. that it currently does. Amazon hopes it'll get to that point, but yeah. the money is going to be even more significant for the NFL. That that it's it's like finding new places in pizza to stuff the cheese. This Thursday night thing is here to stay. We do hear periodic complaints. You know, for every complaint we hear, though, there's the guy who says accurately we get an easy week of practice yeah it sucks to play a game four days after we played our last one but then we have a mini buy on the back end so i kind of like it yeah right but, but there are plenty of guys who don't and as you get older and you've got a litany of injuries that you're trying to manage having to turn around and play on thursday not a great way to go about keeping yourself as healthy as you can no be. definitely not especially this time of the year you know you're 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 beat to hell this time of the year it doesn't matter Oh, we have seven days between a game, eight days between a game. You're getting up every morning this time of the year going, damn, holy crap, I'm sore as hell, you know, as you're, as you're trying to wake up. I mean, that's just the way it is. You, you literally go to brush your teeth, and you're like, man, my back, my shoulder. And, again, I mean, I'll state I was just a wimpy quarterback. I can't even imagine how 
the T.J. Watts and the Minka Fitzpatricks of the world feel. We heard Devin McCourty a few weeks ago for the Patriots. You know, he talked about it as far as like, man, it stinks. Yeah. And Mike, I think you're right. Like the only people that really like it, I think for the most part, are the coaches because it does give them an extra day or two on this mini bye weekend like like you've discussed. And then the young players, I think you hit like spot on with that. The young players looked at it like they don't care. Yeah, year one, year two, they're like Gumby still. It doesn't matter. But, you know, as you discussed, like with the contract thing, once you start to get to year four and five and, you know, the years and the hits start to pile up and anything after that, uh, woo, that's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. And, you know, what I really want to see done, uh, in my opinion, or that would help it, like uh, let's, let's find a new way to do it. Let's find a new way to do it. Again, we saw last year they can figure out different schedules. And why can't they, you know, let's stop doing this to players if they're so concerned about player safety. Hey, maybe you play the Monday night before, then you don't play Sunday, and then you play Thursday. Uh, I, I would just hope they can find a way. Or maybe they just start, you know, like we talked about last year with COVID, have a game every day of the week, and the team that's going to play Thursday played the previous Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it is. But I would like at some point in the future for the NFL to figure it out. And if they really want like me to buy into the you know, safety thing, then this to me would be one of the marquee things to do to make players feel safe and healthy, especially if we're going to add another game to the season too, which I think we all think is coming. You know, That's even worse. It's abuse that way. So figure it out schedule-wise to where you don't have to do this to football players. Um, because, you know, all the safety stuff to me just goes in one ear and out the other as, soon, as long as this is around. It's great. But I, I think it's all for, you know, again, yeah, we want to keep some of the stars healthy and we want the mom and dads to have their kids play football. That's all it's about. I don't know if they really care about the players that are playing in the league right now. And I think that's what rubs me the wrong way. Well, the COVID experiment that we saw last year yeah. where – Sorry, I said you a have lot there. The, yeah. No, yeah. no, but – I think that we are moving in that direction. I hope so. I was surprised that the latest round of TV deals didn't bake that in at some level, Tuesday and Wednesday. Those are the two other days where they can play games without getting into a predicament. And I don't want to go too far down the congressional rabbit hole here, but Friday and Saturday games from Labor Day weekend until the second Saturday in December can't be played. That's part of the trade-off when the NFL got the broadcast antitrust exemption that allows them to sell all of the TV rights as a package and not the Cowboys sell theirs to NBC, the Jaguars sell theirs to local access. Right. You're going to have a huge disparity in money if that's what the teams have to do. So to hold that together, you can't play on Friday and Saturday to protect high school and college football. Right. But you can do Tuesday and Wednesday. And if they don't do Tuesday and Wednesday, I just think it's a matter of time before somebody does. But before somebody creates a league that plays in season, you know, I see USFL and XFL and this FL and that FL, and why are they all playing in the spring? I understand we're going to want stuff to bet on in the spring. You're looking for stuff to bet on during football season. You got Tuesday and Wednesday night wide open saying play professional football games on these two days. And then that way you can balance out this idea of not having a team ever have to go Sunday to Thursday. Right. Or only, you know, you, maybe you do it once a year like you do now. Or, or maybe you can replace it all together. Yeah. And whoever plays on Thursday one week plays on Wednesday the next week. So you've got six days. Yeah, right. The, you know, because nobody ever complained about 
playing Monday and then having to play Sunday. That was never a complaint in all the years I've been following football. There's never been a, oh boy, it's really hard to, you know, we physically can't turn around from Monday night to Sunday. But from Sunday to Thursday is an issue. So if you can do six days yeah. and, and play it that way, yeah. they're going to look for more ways to I televise so. games, to have standalone games. And that's we're going to be happy with that. We want standalone games. Definitely. We, we, because it's easier to study and watch and enjoy and appreciate one at a time instead of eight or nine at a time. And I think the NFL is starting to realize that as well. They'll have a lot more people watching football if they can space these games out a yeah. little bit. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Chris's sarcastic favorite segment of the week is on Tuesday when we do the goats in a bad way. He <laughs> hates that segment. His true favorite segment of the week is coming up when we take a closer look at some of the officiating decisions made and not made from the week that was after further review is next on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. On the two-point conversion, did, when you went back on tape, did it look like they lined up offsides on that? And did you hear from the referee in-game or anything afterwards? No, I didn't hear anything afterwards. I haven't heard anything from the league. You'd like when a guy's lined up that far. I saw the picture that far in the neutral zone. You'd certainly expect that to get called, though. John Harbaugh earlier this week talking about Montrevious Adams of the Steelers, a new addition to the team who played extensively in his first game, lined up offside apparently on the two-point conversion, the failed effort by Lamar Jackson to get the ball to Mark Andrews. And there it is. You can see the blue line yeah. where the ball was snapped, and it does look like he was – yeah, that was – I would say that's – I. you know, I. you need – some would say you need the straight down the line view. That looks offside to me. <laughs> that looks offside to me. Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it almost reminds me of a Thanksgiving night game between the Bears and the Packers six years ago when Alshon Jeffrey was standing like two yards offside. I remember that? Yeah. Remember that? Right. That's not quite as bad, but yeah, he's offside. He's lined up. He's not in the neutral zone. He is the neutral zone. Yeah, I mean, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but I, I, you know, the, the other thing that again bothers me, and this is a little theme we've seen, and I know it bothers both of both of us, 
And we got a few at the end of this segment that we're going to show of, you know, end of the game. It's just the game's going to be wrapped differently. I don't understand that. I mean, oh, it's a big moment, so we're not going to call offsides blatantly like that? And that just that makes no sense to me. No sense. I don't even know how you can miss that. You know the referee's standing right down the line there. He sees it. To me, he just is going, oh, I don't want to be a part of a big moment of the game and give them a yard. But no. We, they, Montrevious Adams knows the rules of football. He knows them. He messed up. He called the penalty. And that, that, that annoys me right now about you know the refing. I, I think that in this case, and we won't know unless we have a chance to talk to the officials, and we never get that chance. All you ever get is periodically a pool report where the head of the crew, a referee, is asked questions by one reporter and only one reporter for like two minutes. But I think in a situation like that, because I know for me, I was in position getting ready for the next little hit that I was going to do on Football Night in America, and I was watching the end of the game on my phone yeah. while we're you know doing the show. And when you see them score that touchdown, you feel your vital signs rise. I don't care who you are. If you're connected to the game of football, that's one of those moments that you wait for. And I just would suspect that the officials have that same burst of adrenaline thinking this is going to be great, and I think the person just missed it. So caught up in the moment, they just missed it. Because I don't think you deliberately stuff your flag in the pocket when you see a guy with his hand across the front of the ball. I don't think you deliberately say, I don't want to affect the game here. I just think that, that they were caught up in the moment. They just didn't see it. Uh, you know, again, that's that's fine. It just it's not a, it's not a great excuse. In, I mean, in my in no, my opinion, no, no, I'm I know, not, I know I'm you're not, not saying it's an excuse. I'm just saying I don't think they deliberately said this okay. is end of game. We're gonna play. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna use different rules here. Like it doesn't matter where you line up. Yeah. I just think it's one of those where if they had seen it, they call it. I think they may have been so caught up in the moment, They're like all right, I gotta make sure everything. I got all my keys. Yeah. Where am I, what am I doing here? All right, we ready and missed what was right down the line in front of them maybe maybe yes uh, but uh, again I, I don't know that's where I get into like maybe if they were a full-time ref they wouldn't be so overwhelmed by the circumstances and be looking at it going wow look at all these pretty terrible towels and stuff I don't know but that's that's that is just not acceptable to miss something that blatant on that type of play it's just not Hey, we hear about virtual reality all the time as it's used for quarterbacks. And in fact, they don't talk about it much anymore because I think the teams that use it don't want the teams that don't use it to realize how effective it is. But that's one of the things people say, what would full-time officials do? Strap on the virtual reality goggles and and put yourself in those moments where the terrible towels are, are raising and you, you feel your heartbeat rising and you learn how to master yourself and set that aside in that moment where you feel the surge of adrenaline because you know that you're part of a pretty cool football yeah, right. scenario. Right. Um, that's that's our first item for this week's After Further Review from the same game. This one is uh, more of a strategic decision, not an officiating decision, because they clearly got it right because the Ravens clearly took an intentional offside penalty late in the game at the two-minute warning as the Steelers had the ball, Chuck Clark went offside on second and two to give the Steelers that first down. That was done deliberately. They've done it before. John Harbaugh declined to comment on it, which tells you that it wasn't an accident. And as MDS pointed out when he wrote the post at PFT, the Steelers just should have declined the penalty. Just decline the penalty. You're right. You can decline that, it. That's really you what don't it need. is. Yeah. They're saying take the first, take five yards and take the first down. We're All we're guarding at this point is the end zone. 
We know to guard the end zone and the front of the end zone, Vikings. Not the back of the end zone, the front of the end zone. They were guarding that. They didn't care about the first down. They, they yielded it, and the Steelers just should have said, no, thank you. Yeah. And I think this is, this is where the coaching, the awareness, the presence of mind becomes a factor. Mike Tomlin should have known to say, no, thanks, we decline. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, you're right. You decline it. I don't think you can decline it if you're Pittsburgh in that, that moment, though. I don't. Again, you want the first down, so you got an extra chance to get the touchdown, right? So you take it. But, yeah, it's a little bit of a loophole in the rule here. And, I mean, again, if I was coaching the Ravens, I would have done the same thing. No doubt about it. Yeah, let them have the first down right now. The clock stop. Get it over with. Let's not waste this play. Then have to call the timeout. Before a first down, let's give them the first down now, the clock stop, and we can call the timeout right after. So from all that, I mean, it makes sense. And John Harbaugh, like Vrabel, like Belichick, they're very in tune with the rules. They understand that. Now, you know, what I don't understand is their defense they played at the, the, the you know, a few plays later when Ben Roethlisberger scored a touchdown. Like you said, protect the end zone. Make them kick a field goal. So then your offense only has to kick a field goal to win the football game. That's kind of what drove me crazy watching the game back. They then went all-out blitz and left three corners just man-to-man with no help, and they got picked and crossed up. Uh, I don't understand the defensive call there, but either way, I mean, again, what, what do you do about that, right? I mean, is there anything really that the league can do to change this or stop that aspect well, of it? Pete makes a good point because if Mike Tomlin had declined the penalty, it is second down. Yes. And you, you, it is valuable to reset the downs. And if you lose because you don't no convert doubt. the first down. Right. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Then why didn't you just take the gift wrap first down? Right. So it's going to be difficult unless and until it happens enough times that it becomes part of the mainstream <clears throat> analytics discussion. Yeah. R really. Once it's accepted by the analytics mafia, then it's okay if the coach does something that blows up in his face. That, that's kind of the way it's gone the past five years. Once it's accepted by the analytics mob that this is what you should do and they start pounding on the table that this is what you should do, then if you do that thing that used to be unconventional and it doesn't work, you no longer get criticized for it. So I don't know what the analytics would be. when it comes, but, but this is all part of the formula, and this yeah. is why the Ravens did it. Right. This is why the Ravens did it. We're willing to give them a first ten, a first and goal because from an analytics perspective, it's going to be harder for us to have enough time to to score. Yeah. If if we let them run a play, get a first down, right. and now we gotta screw around with do we take a timeout? Do we watch 40 seconds to go off the clock? We'd rather them have yeah. The fresh set of downs now. So that's that's where this all flows from. It's from a hypersensitivity, justifiably so, to how the passage of time meshes with your broader strategic objectives. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And uh, again, I mean, it makes sense. I, like I said, I would do the same thing. I don't think the NFL can do anything to change the rule. You can't prove that they were doing it intentionally, even though we kind of know they were. Um, and hey, it's just it is. It's a smart play all the way. I'm not mad at John Harbaugh or the Ravens. That's for sure. They have a hard enough time determining when guys are faking injuries. Good luck figuring out when guys are faking offside. Did you really? Did you really mean to flinch, or did you? Yeah, is that good luck with that. By you, good they're luck. never going to get there. All right, uh, another call, and you mentioned this yesterday, and we've written about it, and I've talked to the league about it. This is a horrible rule that, from time to time, is applied according to the letter of the rule, but it. 
plenty of other times it isn't, or it would be called almost every game. This That's is right. the blindside block violation from Thursday night when Garrett Griffin of the Saints hit J. Ron Curse of the Cowboys. Curse was blitzing, and Griffin had to come across the formation. You see him there kind of as an up back. He came across, and the rule was passed in 2019 where if you are moving parallel to or toward your goal line, you cannot strike an opponent forcibly with helmet, shoulder, or forearm. All you can do in that situation to comply with the rule is basically go open hand or do the old basketball charge where you stand there, you know, and just let them run into you. You can't use your shoulder, your forearm, or your helmet to forcibly strike the opponent when you are moving parallel to or towards your own goal line. And what we saw there, proper application of the rule, even though he tried to go hands, coached up to only go hands, he's got the helmet in it. When you put the helmet down and you go helmet to helmet in that setting, see that? The hands are fine. The helmet's the problem. That's why it drew the foul. And as the rule is written, and it was passed in 2019, as the rule is written, it's yeah. a proper call. But it, it lacked it, common sense. We would see that every game. It's a horrible rule. This is a rule that was crafted not by football people. Of course. This was a rule crafted by PR and lawyers. This is a Jeff Miller, Jeff Pash special. Just like the lowering the helmet rule that they alone crafted. I'm tipping a little bit of the reporting that's done in Playmakers, the book that comes out March 15. They crafted that rule without football people. This is a liability, safety, and possibly let's get to 18 games rule. And it doesn't make sense and it doesn't get called consistently. And when it gets called in a moment like that, that's the kind of thing that gets people to say the fix is in. Well, that's the know. problem with a, having a rule like that that doesn't get called on a consistent basis. It, it, again, it just it's, it's lack of common sense by the Jeffs and the referees. It's lack of common sense. You know, I mean, listen, I could show you, I don't know, 30 pass plays from every game with the defense end going around the edge, and the offensive tackle has to lower his head because we like let, let me explain this to the Jeffs of the world. All right, when a guy that permissible, it may be permissible in the tackle box. I, I got to pull up the okay, rule. That's still that was the tackle box. I mean, it just the line slid one way. He was there. It, 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 it makes no sense. And again, I'm so sick of I mean, the, like the helmet thing. I'm so sick of the helmet. Like, wait, all right. There's a guy that's 215 pounds who runs four four running. Um, you're not going to stand up straight like the scarecrow to block them and be like, oh, I'm going to block them. See, like what you have to do is lower your body and see when you lower your body, your head goes down too. That's all this crazy stuff. Like the head's connected to it. Like, whoa. So yeah. And then they're wearing these big helmets and all these guys got big heads to begin with. And then they touched. Oh no. Like get the hell out of there with that. Common sense, here's the, here's, somebody. Let, let me point this out yeah. before we before we forget, because this is the exception, and this is why it's not a foul when a left tackle does it as a defensive end is trying to get around him to the quarterback, and he's clearly going parallel or toward as he as he creates the pocket, he's going parallel or toward his own goal line. It's not a foul for a blindside block if the forcible contact occurs in close line play prior to the ball leaving that area. So well, let's that's show the, the play key. again. Let's show it again because I, I think but it's, it's not close it's, line play. Well, it is it's like not we, line play. Wait, but he's in what? the backfield. But but it, yes, but he's part of the line, and they slot. Look at all the line slides to the right. He makes it 
in way inside the tackle box. It's way. Look at where well, he hits him at the left half. It's not, ta but that's the thing. I misspoke when I said tackle box. It's not close line play. This is back in the backfield. Oh. Now, the question is yeah. here's the question. Yeah. Here's the question. Right. Because it looks like it would if a left tackle backpedals to try to keep, you know, like an yeah. Elvis Doomerville right. who would spin all the way around you. Yeah, right. So at some point you are away from the line, but you're a lineman. It looks not that different than what we've seen tackles do. I right. guess that's Or a my pulling point. guard, right? It's a play action pass. The pulling guard's got to get out there and block the edge guy. It's going to be the same and type of block at some here's, point. Look, here's, here's, this was designed to prevent the old Heinz Ward breaking the jaw of Keith Rivers. Remember right. that? Not this. The, yes. The blocks we used to, we used to ooh and awe over where right. a guy doesn't see it coming and he gets ear hold right. and he gets flattened. The, here's where common sense is lacking in this rule. I know. J-Ron Kirsch saw it the whole way. Right. They call it a blindside block. There is no blindside. He sees it. You got to come up with a better name for it. If you're going to expect people to go all in and accept this rule and the officials to enforce it consistently, there's nothing blind about what happened to J. Ron Curse. I know. Not at all. I, it's, it's again, that's, it just goes back to our common sense thing. It's been lost. They're so into just the black and white, and this is how it's written, and that's what it is. And I'd like these guys to start watching football a little bit more and start understanding what the hell's going on. I mean, because, again, you're, you're taking away an aspect of the game that is important, He's protecting the quarterback. Isn't the league happy about that? It's all about protecting the quarterback. He won't get touched if we allow this. So, yes, common sense. Please, someone at 345, hurry up and get it. All they have to say is it's when, it's, when the block is thrown within the context of protecting a passer who is in the act of navigating, you know, you can come up with all the lawyer words and the rule words that you want, but but basically in a situation like that, it shouldn't be a blindside block, especially when the goal is to keep the quarterback upright. Because you're right, they're balancing their priorities here. We're trying to protect the quarterback, so why wouldn't you allow a block that keeps the quarterback from getting hit that the pass rusher can see? That's not a situation where right. a blindside block right. becomes a risk to the person who absorbs it. And by the way, I asked the league how many times this foul has been called since they implemented the rule. 36 times in 2019, 17 times in 2020. And if you remember, Chris, there was one time in a playoff game, that Bills-Texans game, where we first saw Josh Allen get unleashed as a, yeah. as a, as a full-fledged postseason weapon, and they were up 16-0. Right. Cody Ford in overtime got called for a blindside block that took the Bills out of field goal range. They would have won the game. In the, oh, boy, look at that. Here we go. And, and the league later said it wasn't a foul because it wasn't forcible. No. You see the hit there. He didn't blow him up. He did not he's at just, all. He just, just gave a shoulder it's not and stopped him from He's going. just getting in the way. Right. That took him out of field goal range, and that cost him the game. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it just it, again, it's, it's amazing how many we go through the week where we just go, if there was just a little common sense, we wouldn't be talking about this. But there lacks that right now. And it's so black and white that it's, it's really frustrating to watch the sport at times. This gets back to the old jokes, you know. I mean, how many how many football people and rules makers does it take to actually craft a rule book? Well, apparently it takes no football be, people. It's a bunch of just uh, rules makers and a lawyer. But what? I mean, well, it's a lawyer's what, making it, and that's where it's it's, it's a, messed up. It's a fascinating process that unfolds behind the curtain in February and March of every year, and then we have to pick up the pieces and make sense of it all 
for 18 weeks of a regular season and several weeks of a postseason. And this is a prime example of something where, and we, we know that, you know, I, I, I know that some people say, oh, you're sure people watch, people watch and listen to what we say. Hopefully somebody out there who's watching and listening, who's in a position of power, will will start banging the drum on situations like this because it, it is stupid. It's and it stupid. And we both right. know, we both have coaches that contact us that, that are happy we're doing this. And they want to talk about it more, but they can't because they're handcuffed by the league. And we know it's a real thing that bothers coaches throughout the NFL right now. All right. Uh, the Sky Judge protocol that we have been advocating for a while that needs to be fully and completely in the game, it is partially in the game. And it was utilized on Monday night to change the ruling that was made on the field that the punt that Nikhil Harry in his first ever career punt return so much for Bill Belichick being a super genius. He puts a guy out there who's never returned a punt before in this wind, and he gets his his face mask a little too close to the ball. And initially, very forcefully, the official said, no, didn't touch him. It's Patriots ball. No, no, no. Well, the, the modified sky judge that is available, whether it's the replay official on site or the league office, determined that the ball touched the face mask of Nikhil Harry. And this is where the Manning cast can be very valuable because they were all over it. The main broadcast, not so much. Eli and Peyton were all over it. Peyton pointed out, you really can't see the ball touch the face mask because they're kind of the same color. Eli pointed out, hey, it's a windy night. How do we know it wasn't the wind that caused the movement, the flight of the ball? And this is where it's important, Chris, because back in 2015, Dean Blandino explained during one of the weekly videos that they used to do, which was very helpful, in a Seahawks-Bears game, the movement of a ball where it looked like it clearly moved, but unless you actually see clear and obvious evidence of the ball touching the player, movement of the ball is not enough. You have to see it actually touch. And this is where I think the the Sky Judge got over his or her skis a little bit and assumed that the ball touched Nikhil Harry without regard to that institutional knowledge, that approach that they have where you have to actually see it. If you didn't actually see it, it's not enough to overturn the ruling on the field. Yeah, I listen, I, you know, I, I mean, again, it's, it's a tough one. And even with the sky judge, I know we might not get every call right there. I know we might not, but, you know, I, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say with that one, it did look like it touched his helmet. I mean, it but, looked... Did you see it touch it? Did you see it strike the face mask, or did you just, did you just see the ball move? Well, I saw what the ball move, and I, I feel like I All did right. see it touch. I do feel like I saw it touch. Now, I mean, I wish it was a little bit more forceful. Clear and obvious? Well, clear it, and obvious? It's, it's Clear and obvious. You're right. Maybe not clear, clear and obvious. 50 drunks in a bar. No, I understand that. I, I get it. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not clear and obvious. I, again, I don't know. Right there, and especially it's hard from that angle. It's the other angle from the front view that we see right here to where... I, you know, I don't know. It does look like it changed, and it looks like it does change. But yeah. does it touch? I know. I, hey, I know. Same You're thing right. is, I, I wish I wish I would have asked for the punt play from 2015, the game between the Bears and the Seahawks, because it was the same thing. Yeah, you saw the ball clearly move when it went past the leg of the Seattle player, but the camera was on the wrong side, so you didn't actually see it touch. The leg, and I think that's what we have here. And here's here's another reason why I included this play, Chris. Yeah, this sky judge process is is intended to happen quickly. 
Let's make it happen quickly so we don't have to bog the game down for a replay review. That's all the more reason to be a thousand percent sure. I know that's mathematically impossible, but I'm trying to make a point here. A thousand percent sure that it did do the thing that you believe it did. Otherwise, defer to the full-blown replay where they do take some time and they slow down. It, it's got to be 500 drunks in a bar to get the sky judge process to overturn got it. You. And then it's just the reduced 50 drunks in a bar when it's the replay process. That it's, you, you better be damn sure before you change the ruling on the field without the benefit of the full-blown replay. That, that's the way I look yeah, at it. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I think I look at it the same way. I think you're, it, it's, it's a tough one. It really is. But I think you're right. If we're going to be, you know, have something here to be a little bit more concise, I don't know if that, that's not clear and obvious. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the real thing there. And I think you make a good point. Um, so you're right. As much as I like that the Sky Judge got involved and made things happen – um, you're right. I don't know if clear and obvious is really real there and uh, certainly a little shaky. And here's another example of how having a, a full and complete roster of full-time officials and replay officials and everyone who's involved in this process, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, day after the game, let's talk about this. Let's talk. Let's, let's, do, do you think, do you really think that the part-time officials who go home and work their other jobs before they fly to their next assignment, do you think that they are the party to the kind of detailed discussion and debate that you and I just had? No. Do you think that happens? No. Well, it needs to. Yeah. And there's one way to do it. You make them all full-time. We're full-time. We're full-time. If we, if we were just barnstorming in for the weekend games, we wouldn't have the occasion to sit here. If I was still practicing law, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you, Chris, right. about the nuances of Sky Judge and the, the learning mechanism to make sure when it is fully embraced that you are. I mean, this is the broader point. you got to be completely and entirely sure before you intervene. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're hesitant to do it. I'm hesitant to make that point because that's the kind of thing that puts the turtle head back in the shell. Oh, we don't want to do this. We're going to have the sky judge making irrational judgments based upon incomplete evidence. But I, I think it's just part of what they have to bake into the process. All yeah. right, next play. This one was great for a variety of reasons. Travis Kelsey, Chiefs against the Broncos on Sunday night, makes the catch, tucks the ball away, ball gets knocked out, Ruling on the field, incomplete. After further review, following a challenge by the Broncos, why would they challenge it? Because he fumbled it. If it's a catch, he fumbled it, and they had a clear recovery. They would have had the ball right there at the 41. Wouldn't have been a touchdown. We've learned that a long time ago. But it is a clear recovery, and you get possession at the spot of the recovery. So the final decision after replay review was that he didn't complete the third element of the catch because he didn't have it long enough. The time element was not satisfied. And Mike Vrabel, member of the competition committee who was off on Sunday watching the game at home like everybody else with a vested interest in the outcome of this game because the Chiefs are competing with the Titans for playoff positioning on the on the tree that goes all the way up to the top seat and the bye that goes along with it. He, he tweeted in response to the NFL officiating explanation of this play, the rule. There's the rule. With no comment, no criticism, there's the rule. And his point, if you are reading between the lines, his point is this. It's not about time. 
time is an alternative way of determining whether or not you had the ball long enough, Chris. If you are able to perform an act common to the game, time doesn't matter. Taking a third step, time doesn't matter. Tucking the ball away, time doesn't matter. And I think that's the point that Coach Vrabel was making there. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long he had it. He had it long enough to catch it and tuck it away. Catch it and tuck it away. That completes the act of catching the ball. Now, it got, it got knocked out immediately after he tucked it, but he tucked it. I think that's what Vrabel's trying to say. That it should have been a catch, it should have been ruled a catch, and it should have been overturned from an incomplete to a complete. I, I know. Again, I, I'll say this is another really tough one for me. It, to me, and, and Mike Vrabel's right. I mean, he's right. The language there, it, it should be a fumble. But, like, let's show it one more time. You know, to me, again, like, this is where maybe the language needs to be changed in some capacity to a degree. Because I, I, I don't think on a playground or anywhere anybody would ever call that a complete pass really i don't now it's cool to look at it in super slow motion it looks like it but when you watch in real time i don't know if anybody would call that a complete pass but by the letter of the law yes and the nfl and the way they have it right now it should be that it was one two you know like you said ball tucked away and then you know a third step there but, like, when you see this angle in real time, I, I look at it and go, there's no way that could be a catch. There's no way he had possession. And then, again, you know, he's he's the ball, like, he's tucking it into his left arm in the process of that when it gets knocked out. So is that full reception there? Again, common sense to me says that's not a reception. Rules of the NFL, black and white, says it is. And, I mean, that's where we are right now. Um, but – I, I want to say if I was in the backyard or Ramapo High School football game or anything like that, I'd go, that's not a catch. That's not a catch. But again, the super slow motion aspect of it, of course, increases your thought there to go, well, by the letter of the law, that is. But I don't think eyes can really see that in real time as far as how quickly that happened. And I agree with what you're saying. And Pete reminded me of the fact that we were advocating for three steps until they finally fixed the catch rule. Three steps is the ultimate test. And that's where it meshes with, you know what, when you see it, because that's the problem the NFL had for years. The actual rule as applied didn't mesh with that visceral sense of that's a catch. That looks like a catch. And yeah. I agree with you. That doesn't look like a catch. And, and I think part of also what Vrabel was doing was pointing out yeah. that it's not about time. It's about whether or not he tucked it away right. and ruling on the field. Look, ruling on the field, incomplete, which means he didn't get it tucked away before it got knocked out. So then the question becomes, on replay, is there clear and obvious evidence that he got it tucked completely before it got punched out? And I think the ruling there should be it's not clear and obvious. I, I think he got so, it right. I think they, that's where and they got it right. So right. That's the right way to navigate. It's not about time. See, this is where NFL officials, it's better to not be transparent. Sometimes if you're transparent, you get it wrong. It's not about time. It's about performing an act common to the game. Did he complete the act of tucking it? And I, I would say they ruled on the field he didn't, and there is not clear and obvious evidence on replay that he actually did. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's one there where they got to figure out the language maybe to be a little more concise with that because Brable is right. He is right. By the letter of the law, that's the way it should be. But again... You know, I'm not going to sit here and get mad at it because I think this is where, hey, common sense was used appropriately, and I think the clear and obvious thing, yeah, it was still in the process of being tucked away into that left hand when it got knocked out. And, of course, 
you know, again, maybe they need to change something with like the three-step thing or anything there too. You catch the ball and both feet kind of came down at the same time. It was like boom, okay? Man, that 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 to me is not the same as I caught the ball one step, two step, I'm tucking it away and now there's a giant three step. There's a diff- there's maybe needs to be a little more detail in that. So you know, we can understand it a little bit better and, and not kind of have conflicting views there. But for the most part, they have gotten it right yeah. in application. And yeah. the end result, I think, was the right one. It's just that that tweet, I think, I love it. That focused Brable on did time it. Yeah. instead of, I'm talking about the NFL officiating yeah. tweet, focused on time instead of the fact that really it was about whether or not he performed an act common to the game, which is independent of time. There's no time element there because time gets into it you know, you have to have it long enough to have performed in that comment of the game. Well, in, in this case, he did. So why are you even talking about time? I think that was his point. Yeah, like, if I you're going to have right. these tweets, right. let's be let's be accurate about how we're interpreting and explaining the rules to people who are trying to understand them. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's one that got Raiders fans uh, riled up and Cowboys fans indirectly because they were the ones who were on the wrong side of multiple defensive pass interference calls on Thanksgiving. Game on the line. Zay Jones gets behind. This isn't the Hail Mary protocol, which applies a different standard, even though the rule book doesn't have a Hail Mary subsection. Derek Carr uncorks a deep pass, and uh, Bobby McCain beaten by Zay Jones. You can see it. You can see whether it's the jersey or the black undershirt. You can see the pulling there. And and I've had people say, oh, it didn't impede him. It didn't affect him. What? You see that? How did it not affect him? You see the pulling of the jersey. Of course it affects him. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, it could have affected his positioning to be able to catch that football right there. And again, someone is pulling on you while you're trying to focus on the hardest part of your job, which is tracking a ball that's soaring through the sky. Someone is pulling you and you've got to fight through that while you're trying to focus on making the catch. Of course, it's affecting you. Of course it is. And that's where like the the average Joe Smiths of the world got to like realize, hey, dude, Zane Jones is a freakish athlete. Yeah, he's getting held and everything else, but he's, you know, he's. A 6'2 wide receiver who's got strength and a freak. So, yeah, he can control his body a little bit better than Joe Smith, the plumber, who's running down the field if he had a jersey, somebody pulling his jersey. But, but like, if you did that to anybody else, again, schoolyard, high school football, whatever, yeah, it affects you. And really, the base point is this. This is the base point, at least in, in my view. If that was the first quarter or the second quarter, there would have been 97 flags thrown for pass interference. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's bad. Oh, oh, my gosh, pass interference. And that's where I think coaches and teams are frustrated because all of a sudden now we get to the last two or three minutes of the game and the game is refed a completely different way. And that's where I, I get annoyed and, and I, I know that's really annoying a lot of coaches. Well, and and you're absolutely right. The same standard should apply no matter when it happens. It's either a foul or it's not. Same thing happened in Seattle where Sidney Jones of the Seahawks got Trent Sherfield in a wrestling hold, it looked like, uh, and there was no call. Um, and this is critical. This is the next to last play of the game as the holding, the, the holding, trying holding, to tie it up. Look, holding, hold, push, holding, shove, grab. Holding. I mean, he's holding him for grab, five hold seconds. his left arm. I know. He's got his left arm in a, in a vice grip. It's a legal contact down the field. I mean, after he crossed, I mean, right here, it's pass interference here, really. And then, of course, it's still pass interference as he tries to re- uncover inside. And then as the ball's in the air, like you're saying, his left arm is being grabbed. 
Yeah, again, that's where I, it, it's very frustrating because I think if that's third and goal at the end of the first quarter, there's 97 flags there. First and goal at the one. But now it's late in the game and they don't call it. And uh, I, I, that's just, it's not acceptable. It's hard. That's hard to play offense that way. Damn, you have to call a certain different group of plays then if they're going to allow that. And I don't, I don't know what else to say. But yeah, that was blatant pass interference at any other part of the football game. Unless this is the old Legion of Boom approach where you just do it on every play and dare them to call it. We've talked about that recently. That, yeah. That, that just, that's just, that was nonstop mugging. There, there was like, no way I'm letting this guy catch this pass no matter what. And hey, if we have to give up first and goal from the one, so be it. Or we give him a first down, so be it. I am not letting my guy catch this pass. No way, no how. Now, I will say this, and this is, this is what gets back to the full-time official's point. There's so much inconsistency between the crews because what did we see on Thanksgiving? What did we see in overtime, right? Critical moment of the game. They didn't tuck the flag away. They threw it on uh, Anthony Brown yeah, of right, the Cowboys. Right. So, you know, some crews do it, some crews don't. And I know that it's impossible to get all of them to act the same way. Yeah. But if they're all full-time and they're all having meetings together – and you, you do you I think enhance a greater sense of consistency among all crews if they're all operating off of the same notes, the same Zoom calls, the same in-person meetings, the same training. At some point, it's all going to kind of settle toward the same standard. I, I I think so too. I think that's where you're right. It's going to get more people closely on the same page there. And hey, I, your Anthony Brown point, yeah, it's correct. But to me, like. They were so egregious, not even the refs could swallow their flags right there. It was down the field. They were the only people in the screen, like the like the Raiders one, but even more egregious than that, to the point where like the guy's turning around and Anthony Brown's just, oh, and he can't even do anything. <laughs> so that to me, like, yeah, they, they got it right on Thanksgiving. They did. They didn't swallow their flags there, but I think that one's, those were so obvious. You know, the pulling of the shirt. You know, oh, you're in the back of the end zone and there's a bunch of people flying around inside the five-yard line and on. You know, for, for they're, they're not as blatant or at least like just not self-centered on the screen or the ISO like that. And maybe that's why the refs missed it. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, just well, I want consistency. I think that's what we're both asking for. And, and, and I'll put the final bow on it by saying this. The one-year experiment, the failed experiment of 2019 with replay review available for pass interference calls and non-calls proper application of the standard that was ultimately settled on by the league. The bar was made a little bit higher, but I think both of those would have been called pass interference via replay review. Both yeah. of them. Yeah. They should have been called. If they would have been called by replay review, by the way, the standard finally was developed by Al Riveron because it did kind of move around and it had a magic eight ball quality to it. But by the end of the year, they settled on a high standard. I think both of those would have resulted in flags being thrown by 345 Park Avenue. Let's take a break. When we return, has Sean McDermott put his offensive coordinator on notice of a potential outcome like the one that we saw in Carolina over the weekend? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.